Hi, I'm Faraday Jeanette of Faraday Jeanette Horsemanship, and I'm here to help you get liberated with your horsemanship just like I got liberated over a decade ago and started really feeling the joy and fun with my horses in all levels. This episode is the beginning of my story, how I got where I was, and all the things that led me up to my current place in my journey with horses. I hope you enjoy it. We begin at the beginning. I was actually born in New York City, and at an early age, my parents decided to move me up to the country, and I often think how different things would have been if I had been raised in the city of Manhattan and not in upstate New York. It's definitely had an impact on me living in the country, my exposure to horses, and ultimately, my next-door neighbor, who I will blame for my horse nuttiness because my parents, although my mom is an animal lover, my father I call a city boy, um, basically they were, you know, not really total horse nuts or anything. My sister, she's an animal lover too, but there definitely was not any horse nuts in my immediate vicinity, except for my neighbor, so we'll blame her. So she was kind enough to allow me to go out on trail rides with her and one of her two horses. And let's just say the rest is history. And I was severely smitten with my four-legged equines. So most of my youth was spent begging and whining for horses, as many of us. My parents sent me to horse camp. I wanted to buy my poor dilapidated camp horse that I remember and a well-meaning, more experienced friend of the family said it was not a good idea. But eventually I wore my parents down and they got me my first horse. And I believe I was probably around 11 or 12. Let's just uh, briefly touch on the fact that they didn't really know much about horses. They got taken in by a local horse trader and my first horse was not suitable for a beginner child mount. So, however, undaunted in my uh, horse trainer uh, early years, I was one of these kids that actually poured over horse training books and manuals. I also was reading the requisite Black Beauty and Black Stallion and all those Margaret Henry books. But at the same time, I found this unique about myself after helping teach many young children along the way, that I was actually reading training manuals and I was interested in training horses. So I would say that I had an affinity for this idea of training animals early on. And for those of you who haven't heard me talk about, my actual earliest history was with training dogs and not actually training horses, but because my parents hired a dog trainer to help us with our family dog and I learned uh, from him some some what I call more traditional ideas of training in general, but um, my initial ideas with working with horses actually came from <laughs> dog training a lot of it, which is kind of humorous, but um, none of which I use to this day. Um, I definitely had the natural instincts with the horses 
that I wrote uh, later on in life when I discovered what I call true natural horsemanship. I realized that as a young age, before I got tainted by traditional horsemanship, I really had the instinct and feel for what I do now. And it's been kind of a coming home to come to the work that I do now and a strong resonance um, working at Liberty and, and working with uh, body language and energy with the horses. So um, basically, this first horse that I got, who aptly was named Jack Daniels, some of you will chuckle about that, you know what Jack Daniels is, he came with this name. I innocently did not know that the the actual ramifications of what this Jack Daniels name could carry, but he was a quarter horse, and he was nasty. He would rear, buck, bite me, and frequently unload me on my local daily hacks that I wanted to take on him, and I would come home. He had already made his way back home without me, probably laughing to himself, and he was eating grass in the yard, and my mom would collect me in the car, come find me, because the horse came home without me. And that was my first introduction to childhood resilience and my tenacity to somehow tame this wild quarter horse beast that I had. So what wound up happening is that horse led me to a local barn where my obviously concerned parents thought, is this horse really appropriate for our young beginner daughter? And I made attempts to learn how to work with him better. And the final story of that is that the instructors I was working with at the time deemed him not really a suitable mount for me. And we wound up selling him, which was probably the right thing then. But had I had that horseback today, I would probably have figured him out by now. But I'm laughing to myself because I had a series of horses after that, each one was a big teacher, and it showed me that I was a trainer in the making. So the new instructor that came into my life deemed that I should have another horse that obviously was more suitable, and they picked a horse out for me that was a saddlebred. Um, some of you may not know what saddlebreds are in Europe and other countries, but they're a gated breed. Um, ultimately, looking back, I really had no interest in a gated horse because I wanted to jump and I was a little adrenaline junkie. But I wound up at a barn, unbeknownst to my parents, that did saddle seat and um, park Morgans. So I had quite a strong background in um, the saddle seat horses and in fact even did some very small local competition in saddle seat because that's what I was told to do. But even then I didn't have really a lot of um, interest in that and didn't quite get it and now that I'm an adult and find that whole world you know not really um, humane to horses I find that that education was actually priceless because it showed me what I didn't want to do with horses. So I wound up with this very high-strung um, saddlebred who did have not any interest in hacking, which I did as a little kid, or showing in the hunters, which is what I wanted to do. So it was an interesting clash of ideas, and um, eventually that led me to um, 
selling him on and getting a good old fashioned another quarter horse. This quarter horse actually was quite quite kind and, and fairly safe horse and I actually got along well with him. And um, the only reason he wound up getting moved on is when I went on to college. So um, I had him for a while and you know he was actually a decent horse. And so I finally got it right on the third one, but only to have to move him on for for school. So anyway, that's a brief history of my childhood uh, youth with horses. But what I will tell you is I really tried hard to work with these horses. I poured over the training books and I worked with them and I did my groundwork and I tried to figure out what was going on. But ultimately... I did not really have great experiences with those horses, but they did not daunt me. And that's the most important part, and that's how I knew I was a trainer. Because I didn't get intimidated by these horses. I only wanted to figure out why they were difficult to ride and how I could get into their heads and understand how to have a better relationship with them at that time. I just didn't have the tools yet. The next chapter of my young horse journey opens with my apprenticeships. So I actually had some local teachers that I worked with um, that were very good horsemen in their own right as a youngster. But one of my big apprenticeships was at a farm called Williamsburg Farm in Buffalo, New York, and they stood the famous horse Abdullah. Some of you older folks may remember Abdullah from the Olympics, and he was a great horse, um, I believe it was the 84 Olympics, and ridden by uh, either Joe Fargis or Conrad Homfeld, I can't remember, one of those guys was his rider. But anyway, I wound up apprenticing at that farm, and I learned every aspect of the horse industry there, because they stood, stood stallions, uh, we competed young stock, we started the young stock, and we were always working with all the horses. There were a lot of horses, I believe 200 head that we were working with, and three of us. So I learned about a good, hard, week-long work schedule. So every day we had to be at one barn and deal with the young stock, and then we'd go to the other barns where the horses that were in training were already being shown or for sale, and we would work with them and ride them. I will say that I did learn all different aspects of the industry. I went in there thinking I might want to breed horses, and I left thinking I did not want to breed horses at all because I didn't really like the commercial aspect of breeding. However, I did get to have a lot of fun competing some horses in eventing, and I really enjoyed that aspect, and I quite enjoyed working with young horses, which I still do, and that helped get me into a mindset of what I wanted to do next, and at that point, I had a young mare who was a warm blood, and she had a foal by her side, which was a surprise, uh, one of two which I've had in my life, where I got a mare who was bred unbeknownst to the seller, so... I got to have the experience of 
bringing that mare up from two years old on up to successful competition. And then I did the same with her daughter after I um, wound up having to make the tough decision of keeping only one of them and selling the other one because when you're young and up and coming, you don't have money for two horses. And I wasn't planning on buying two horses. I got two for one. And we all know there's no such thing as free horses. They're only free till they take their first breath on the ground and then you've already got a vet bill because you got a vet to come look at them and check them out. So anyway, I digress. So I was at Williamsburg Farm and then I came back and I basically started what I will call the beginnings of my business. I had a training business where I freelanced. I worked with local people's horses. I could tell I already had a knack because people were bringing me difficult horses and I was getting through to them even though I didn't have any natural horse background. Um, what I did have was as my young, uh, in my young uh, youth, I was described as having an incredibly strong will so most trainers do, who we all know who they are. Uh, the fact that I had this will, they said the horses believed in my desire and it made me at that time, I guess what would be a horse would see as a strong leader. So I believed I could do it. I believed the horse could do it. And that will got me through competitions and what I lacked in technical skill, I made up with in that will to succeed and to, to get me and the horse through everything. So at that point, that was one of my strong points, but I did not have all the technical background that I should have. And um, I was looking for more technique and I needed to get more technique. I was mentored by some more people that had good impacts on me. And when I learned more about um, not necessarily an English or Western style, but from people who just were good horsemen, um, they started furnishing me with just more basic, better horsemanship skills that I was lacking. So I had experiences with short-term um, you know, apprenticeships with various people. And one of the most important ones I had and one of the turning points I had was with John Winnett when I had to be down in Florida for about a year and talk about synchronistic events. At the time I went down to Florida, I had a job, what I call my paycheck job. I wasn't able to full-time support my horse habit but I was definitely in the horse world and I was doing, I had clients, but I, I was still having to do a paycheck job. See, there's hope for everybody. I know some of you are out there right now doing that paycheck job thinking, am I ever going to be able to be a full-time trainer? You are. Stay with it. So I had a paycheck job too. And so as luck would have it, everything happens for a reason. I was transferred by my job down to Florida. I took my horse with me. And I wound up randomly boarding at this barn with the great John Winnett. Now, some of you may not know who he is, but he was a U.S. Olympian. And he was on our team for an astonishing, not one, not two, but I believe six to seven times he was on representing the U.S. in the 60s and 70s. So you can look him up. I might not have all my facts perfect, but that's approximate. So 
Not many equestrians have that record. He was also my first introduction to really serious uh, classical riding. And he took me under his wing, him and his wife took me under their wing, and I felt so lucky. I did some little minor tasks for them and they trained me the whole time I was down there in Florida. And they helped me with my mare and it was just such a generous and kind offering they gave me for the amount of chores that I had to do for them was minuscule compared to the other apprenticeships I did where I worked six and a half days a week for 12 hours a day. So it was an incredibly kind gesture and I'll never forget him for that and his wife for taking me in like that and they really took me under their wing and I got a incredible education in the beginning of my classical dressage education and I didn't even realize how lucky I was until after I really understood who he was in the world. He is no longer with us but I say to him now out loud gratitude for what he did for me and imparting the knowledge he did with me. So that was one of the most important apprenticeships I had in my world. When I came back up north, I was now more aware of French classical dressage. I was aware of more different styles and schools of thought. And I also started to become aware of natural horsemanship because Monty Roberts came on the scene and everybody was talking about him. And I was like, well, what's this about? So I wanted to know what this natural horsemanship was about. And let's be real, I'm a seeker. A lot of us who are like-minded, we're seekers. We want to know about all the information that's available. So we need to go out and study from different people and figure out what's happening. So as I explained in um, some of my bio, he was like the first introduction I ever saw to what I called, quote, what I now call, quote, unquote, natural horsemanship. So why I call it, quote, unquote, natural horsemanship is I no longer feel that this way of training is natural. And I do validate it as a form of training. I do not judge it. I do, it's not the style of training that I um, engage in anymore. But it was my first introduction to a different idea of training and a different way of thinking about the relationship with the horse. And so I have to give credit to that. It was the door that opened me saying, oh, here's other ideas in horsemanship. And that there isn't, there's more than just traditional horsemanship in English and Western and classical dressage. So with that, it started me down the road of what else is out there. And that was really important because now I realize that I can go looking on this journey. And so I looked further and I started looking past the big names. And obviously there were a lot of uh, other big names out there, the Pirellis, the Clinton Andersons, you know, Dennis Reese, um, you know, Craig Cameron. There's all kinds of natural horse guys, Ray Hunt, Tom Dorrance, Frank Bell, you know, all of these people. And Buck Brandman, I can't leave him out. So all these guys are out there, and I'm watching these guys, and I'm going, okay, you know, this is natural horsemanship. And then I said to myself, what else is there? And so I went beyond that. 
And that's when the revolution came, the real revolution. And I saw people that were doing liberty and not trained liberty, where they were taught in a round pen or on a line with a rope halter, but they were working with horses in an open space with no equipment. And it was the first way they worked with the horse, not the way they worked with the horse after they'd taught the horse all these conditioned responses. I also learned that there didn't have to be rules. And as long as you felt safe, that everything was okay. And that was a big thing. Safety is non-negotiable. I always say that at my farm. But there are no rules. Your relationship with your horse is between you and that horse. And whatever you want to do and enjoy with it is that's your situation. And I am not here to judge that, and no one else should either. And yet, so many people feel they need to. So, the liberation, my liberation, the revolution came when I realized I didn't need a rope halter. I didn't need a round pin. I didn't need a stick, even, or a magic tool. All I needed was me and a level playing field. And that level playing field felt very resonant to me. The idea that two horses in the wild didn't have round pens, they didn't have rope halters, they couldn't trap themselves, they couldn't do anything. They had only their posture, only their their body language, and only their emotional energy. And I thought, this is natural. This is natural horsemanship. And so I started down this path, and I started studying various trainers who were coming into this style of work and were really showing different ideas and and also had different approaches to liberty. And I started to realize that this was liberated because you could just run with it. There was no formula and there was no real step-by-step thing. It was just about you and the horse's conversation. Once I had that tool, then I found my voice. Because once I found that, then I had the blessed grace and synchronicity of meeting and working with Bettina Drummond, who is anyone who knows anything about French classical and classical dressage, is one of the last living students of Nuno Oliveira, and she happens to be local in my area. And by grace, I wound up taking a clinic with her because she was coming to another barn I was riding at, and the rest is history there. And as I always say, everything happens for a reason again. Mercury injured himself at one point, and she is quite good at physiotherapy for horses and rebuilding horses with less than ideal conformations and really using dressage as a physical therapy for healthy biomechanics. And I went to her and I said, help me rebuild my horse. He has a weak stifle. He has had a catastrophic injury. And that led me down the road of rehabilitation and understanding how to rehabilitate horses properly. And so I turned that into helping other people and other horses. And many rehabs later have learned to help horses with 
in handwork and liberty. And the, where my own voice came in is I saw this amazingly harmonious, beautiful place where all of these things were cohesive. I could impart not just relationship building with my horses, but I want, found that I could use liberty for physical therapy. I could use liberty for relationship building. I could use liberty to teach advanced techniques, posture and carriage and suppleness. And also I could use it to teach collection and upper level movements to my horses in a conversational way using my body language and teaching them the concept before we ever had to use the tech. It was in fact a huge revelation for me. And not only that, it was fun as hell. So I digress a little bit, but during this revolution period, I was busy doing the opposite of everything I'd learned the first 15 years of my horse life. I was busy unlearning it and having a little party for myself and training because I was like, oh my God, I can do whatever I want now. And that's where the real experimentation started. And all those people who said, you can't do this, you can't do, you can't do collection bitless, you can't ride bitless dressage, you can't ride horses bridleless in collection. All these people in the background who are telling me, no, 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 you can't do these things. It's just not done. It's not safe. I ignored them all. And I started saying, I need to find out for myself. And I had the courage to go out and experiment. And I said, what's the worst thing can happen? I can go down in flames. It won't work. And they were right. And you know what? They were all wrong. And so here we are in my journey. And thank God I don't listen to people because I'm bullheaded myself. And I have to find out for myself about things. And this is the problem with the horse world at large. The horse world at large buys into everything and everyone else's experience. And one of the most important skills and um, tools that I have is to, to make sure that I do not buy into everyone's experience with a horse. In order to rehabilitate difficult horses or behavioral issues with horses, you have to not listen to what everyone said about that horse. You have to stand in the face of that horse and say, horse, I'm here to help you and I'm listening. And what do you need help with? I'm ready to hear. And I know all these other people didn't listen to you, but and I know you had to shout, but now let's talk and let's figure out how I can help you. And that brings the whole tone of the session down. And that's how we help difficult horses. We don't move their feet. We don't chase them around round pens and we don't bash them around. We stop and we say, horse, what is troubling you? And then we go from there and then we figure it out. And so that has allowed me to be very successful with many really difficult horses. And frankly, a lot of horses that weren't difficult at all, but just had people problems and not really any training problems at all. And the by and large bulk of them are horses that had physical issues and people just weren't getting that physical issue. They may have had a vet look at them. They may have had you know, their farriers or hoof trimmers looking, but they were missing something that was wrong. And that's when Farah discovers Chinese medicine, which turns out to be an incredibly useful tool for diagnostics when all the Western medicine is just going, give them anti-inflammatories, put shoes on them, and 
just keep them comfortable and ride them. And so this is not what I want to do. I want to heal horses. So I start to set out to find practitioners who actually can help me heal horses, who actually can help me heal their bodies. I can heal a horse's mind. They help me heal the bodies. So I now have the dream team, as I call them, at Ohana Farm. And that includes my vets, who are Chinese medicine vets. I have body workers who are outrageously spectacular in, in helping horses' bodies get comfortable again. And I have my self-selection and zoopharmacognosy, which was another revolution. And I have to thank Fiona Paul and Caroline Ingraham for helping bring that to the world and bring that to my world. So my main tools that I wound up working with became allowing horses to self-select and not just herbs and medicinals and foods, but actually to self-select shelter, companions, tack, whether they want to be blanketed or not. All of these things, horses will tell you what they want if you listen and you don't project and you don't anthropomorphize. So what led me through the next 15 years of my life after my traditional upbringing was this searching and seeking. And I'm still seeking. And I really, really feel like there's still more to learn. There's always more to learn. And the other revolution that I want to go back to and touch on is how I was influenced as an artist with my upbringing and then also part of what Bettina Drummond brought to my world was the first time I ever saw an artist on a horse and a person make art with a horse. And that was another revolution in my life. Music and horses. I ended the last segment by starting to say the first time I recognized artists on horses was watching Bettina Drummond ride. It was a huge impact on me. I had come up from the show world. I had been showing in dressage. I was just discovering classical riding. And I had had a clinic with Bettina, but I had never actually seen her ride. And I had the opportunity to watch her do one of her demonstrations at one of the local facilities that she does quite a lot of work at in Connecticut. And I sat there and I watched this person ride and it was emotional. And I said, oh my God, I want to ride like that. I want to train like that. That is art. That is the art of horsemanship there. And I was so struck by it. And I thought, I can never do anything else again. I can never go back to the way I was. At moments in your life when you know you've pivoted in your journey, I watched this and I said, that is an artist on a horse. And I was raised in an artistic household. And I was raised with music. And she is very much an artist and she rides to music and live musicians and that inspired me on such a deep level because it was like oh I can have these worlds integrate because for many years I was an artist and a horse trainer 
And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I can be an artist with a horse and performance art. And that led me down the journey of working with my father and working with improvisation and the idea that, let's be real, Grand Prix dressage freestyles, a lot of them are pretty corny. I'm going to be straight up blunt on that. And the music is corny and it's all very, very, you know, precisionly practiced and rehearsed. I've only seen a few where I was really looking at what I considered a harmonious dancing relationship. And oddly enough, they never score well when I see those ones. They only score the top riders with the high scores. So anyway, I don't need to digress on that too much. But the idea that I could have improvisation, I could have nothing planned, and liberty to me was total improv anyway, was the idea that I could make a performance art piece with my horse and whether it was my father or another musician in the ring or even a band or just music playing, that there didn't have to be any choreographed thing. It was just free-flowing stream of consciousness. No performance is ever the same, no practice is ever the same, and there's no choreography. And that, to me, is beautiful. And so that touched me in a deep way, and I will say that Bettina inspired me on that level when she came to my life she inspired me as an artist with horses, and that was a huge gift. So a lot of the main inspirations in my life, there were pivotal moments, and they came when I was ready to pivot in my, in my evolution as a, as a horseman and a horse trainer. Horses are music. I'm going to say it again. And they have rhythm, they have spirit. We talk about dancing with horses all the time. We talk about making, you know, liberty like a dance. It is a dance, but not that many people are dancing. And you have to put the music on and you have to listen to the music and you have to let go of the control and you have to let go of all that horse training that you have in your head. It's just noise. And that you have to, it has to be perfect and it has to be this and that and the horse has to do these movements. And when you let go of that, it's so fun and it's so joyous and the horse will vibe off of that. And if you have a nice fiery horse like my Mercury, who is a fire horse in the Chinese elements, um, that is an incredible thing to allow yourself to experience and, and allow your horse to experience. Our horses are kept under control all the time. They're kept in bridles and tight nose bands and, and saddles that are uncomfortable. And they're kept, many of them, just taken out and ridden in super controlled circumstances all the time. There are people who would never even dream of letting their horse do liberty, let alone even just allowing their horse to go out and, and run freely in a paddock and just hang out with them. So it's so important, this idea of the music and the horses to me, it became like, like air. It's like, I need the music. I need the music because the horse is the music. And when you bridge those two things, it becomes like just fun, you know? And um, it also, it just makes your, your sessions really enjoyable. It gets you out of your head. You know, it, make, it helps you um, get into a space of, of 
you know, organic, free-flowing idea because the music makes you, forces you to flow. Even if you think you don't have rhythm, I still think you need to go do it because horses will have the rhythm. They'll teach you the rhythm. So don't use that as an excuse. You guys are out there going, I don't have any dance rhythm and I can't dance. Everybody can dance. It's all about letting go of your inhibitions and letting the child in you that wants to run and play with their horse come out. So speaking of children, I have introduced this concept now to the children who come to Ohana and they of course love it and it's totally natural and it's so lovely to see them just take stuff and have I give them no rules and let them just create and then have fun with their horses and just create things patterns with music and they just they do astonishing things when you don't put any restrictions on them or it has to be this way or it has to be proper you know, dressage patterns, and they're so creative, and it's so fun to watch, and so I'm very much into cultivating that now, and also, you adults need to cultivate that too, because kids are having way too much fun, and y'all need to have some fun too, so I don't know where everybody is listening to this right now, but go get some music, and when we have the adult music clinic, y'all need to show up here if you're in the area, because I am going to have that one soon because it's just high time that everybody starts learning how to do their supplements dances and their freestyles and not the stuffy dressage freestyles, but their own freestyles that they want to do that they enjoy just for fun. So that's the thing that music brings to me. And when you take away the rules... And you have the law of opposites, which is how we train here now. It's all pretty opposite of what everyone else does. And you allow yourself no mistakes, but you hold yourself accountable to the horse. When you're accountable to the horse and you're accountable to yourself, you are forced to train and interact with the horse in a certain way. And that's ultimately what happened to me at a certain point in my career, is I became unwilling to use the things in the traditional horsemanship that everybody was using, the equipment, the restraints, the chains, the harsh bits. And the thing that was astonishing was I realized that I didn't need them. All of these sports I was competing in where it was very commonplace to have horses and all kinds of gadgets and strong bits I realized that I didn't need those, and I did compete bitless, and I did compete my horses in barefoot, and I competed them in treeless saddles, and it all was fine, and we did well. And also, I proved that I could do it without a bridle, and I had to prove that to myself. And it wasn't because I was showing off. It was because I needed to see if I could do less and less and less equipment. And I always will say this, the less equipment you need, the better horseman you are. All of those gadgets are all about shortcuts and avoiding correct training and taking the time it takes. You always need gadgets when you're rushing, when you don't have correct basics on your horses, and you also don't have a relationship with your horse. You're always going to need gadgets and strong and forceful equipment. So, I've proven to myself, not just to you guys, but I've proved to myself 
that I could take difficult horses, strong horses, draft crosses, horses that were really challenging and strong in the bridle, and took them back, took the equipment back, kept going simple, bareback, bitlets, barefoot, all of that stuff. I kept stripping it back, and I proved time and time again that we could do it, and that the horse could do it. They just need the time and the patience. And to be honest, at this juncture, I'm getting quite efficient and good at converting the horses along because I've got my system down and, you know, unless the horse has some some serious, you know, physical ailment or some behavioral um, issue that needs more time, generally, um, it's very, very easy to take these horses into that place pretty, pretty efficiently using the tools that I have, the liberty, the ground, the suppleness dances, and the articulate riding. So... I feel that up until now, the journey has been spectacular, and I feel like it's just getting better, and currently, Ohana Farm is set up to cult start, uh, to also rehabilitate um, performance horses, to train performance horses that aren't already damaged, to also um, teach people about our, the system of horsemanship that I've come up with, and most importantly, to teach children, the next generation, that there is a new way to work with them, animals, and kids will love this, and that is my way of affecting change in the horse world, because some of y'all already know the state of the competition world, and the plight of horses at large in the in the around the globe and people always say oh how do we change it you know how do we change horsemanship you change the future horsemen you keep infecting them with good information and you stop the dysfunction from being passed on and so our job as trainers the current level of trainers that kids are looking up to is to set an example and to impart good knowledge on these kids who are going to be the next generation of trainers. And also, all the judges need to be reschooled. I'm just going to add that too, because they're perpetuating a lot of the stuff by, um, they're awarding those riders who are perpetuating some of the, the atrocities in the horse world right now. So I digress a bit, but, um, anyway, I just wanted to give everybody a sort of brief, I don't know how brief it was, all right, maybe it wasn't that brief, but I try to keep it as short as possible, and it is a broad stroke, and there is lots of adventures along the way, which I'm going to be talking about in the future. I will start breaking down the stories and all of the horses that have been in my life who have been incredible teachers and afforded me the experiences I've had so I can come out in the world and help you guys and at my clinics and online by filming and videoing the horses that I take in and rescue and even the ones I acquired by choice. Mercury, who has been an incredible project for his whole life, but hopefully is now in his 15th year, can't believe that, actually shows signs of settling down. Is that amazing? I'm amazed. I don't know if you guys are, anyone who knows Mercury. He almost is like settling. I can't believe I'm saying that. So... Um, mature. I think having our young maestro around has matured him. So, um, 
Anyway, my future podcasts, I've had some requests from some of the people who um, heard the um, Come Along for the Ride podcast, who has inspired me to start podcasting, by the way. Shout out to Tracy Malone and Come Along for the Ride. Uh, Anyway, I should be on their show again uh, soon, on her show. But um, the future podcasts are going to be the stories and also some people have asked me about um, some questions and um, how, how to get started in Liberty and whatnot, and I'm going to try to address those in each episode. So I hope you enjoyed this first one. Um, you can leave messages, apparently, um, on Anchor. Uh, you can message me questions or comments, so uh, please do. And um, hopefully I'll catch you on the next one. Take care and keep liberating your horse. Find out more about Faradijanet whole horsemanship at fdhorsemanship.com, YouTube, Faradijanet horsemanship on Facebook, at fdhorsemanship on Instagram, at fdhorsemanship on Twitter, and also you can join my membership site at fdhorsemanship.com where you can have access to virtual coaching, my online mentor program, and also many, many videos, plus videos for sale on cold starting and many exercises that I teach. 